Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are continuing the book of Jonah. Who's enjoyed the series so far? Jonah. I I love the book of Jonah. Jonah is only four chapters long. Uh, Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. Not minor because he's insignificant, but minor because these books are a lot shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah and the rest and Jeremiah and those guys. So this is only four chapters long and uh, we've broken the four chapters into four weeks of study. We've entitled this whole series, Jonah, Man on the Run, because this man was certainly on the run. Week one, we looked how he ran away from God. Remember back to that? He ran away from God. Then, then Ashley spoke about God, uh, Jonah running toward God. And then Dan last week spoke about Jonah running with God. And this morning, I want to speak about how Jonah runs ahead of God. Anyone here ever run ahead of God? You see, the book of Jonah is not for us to judge Jonah. It's for us to learn from his life so that we can be better off for what it is that we have read in the Scriptures. Amen. And I'm sure if Jonah was here today, he'd say, listen, listen up and learn from some of my mistakes and some of the areas that I got right. So we're going to delve straight into the Word of God this morning, starting at Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, reading from the NIV. It says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became very angry. Now, can I just ask, has anyone in this room ever felt like certain things are wrong in this world and you've got angry? So no longer are we talking about Jonah, we're talking about us, yeah? Fantastic, we're in good company this morning. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish? I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Shame on him. Slow to anger and abounding in love, a God that relents from sending his calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This guy has issues. (laughs) But the Lord replied, it isn't right for you to be angry. Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place of the east of the city where he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah and give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. (laughs) This is just crazy stuff. Who who here has ever been happy when God does something good for you? Great. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant up so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorched east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. (laughs) I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Dun, dun, dun. Drama queen. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it nor make it grow. It sprung up overnight and it died overnight. 
And should I not have concern on the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? I love chapter 4 of Jonah because it's a chapter that's often overlooked. When most people preach Jonah or talk about Jonah, we talk about this incredible revival that took place in the city of Nineveh, and then it just stops. But there is another chapter, chapter 4. And chapter 4 is there for us not to overlook, but for us to learn from. And in chapter 3, as we learned last week, we saw Jonah operating as a prophet. He was being a prophet to the city of Nineveh, says, repent, unless you repent, you will perish. And they repented and great revival broke out in the city. So in chapter three, we see Jonah is very much being the prophet, the man of God that God intended him to be. But in chapter four, we see him being petty. In chapter three, he's a prophet. In chapter four, he's being petty. Which means it's possible to be a prophet and petty at the same time. Jonah was being a petty prophet. The point is this, that our gift is no substitute for our character. I believe in the gifts of God. I believe that we should ask for, pray for, believe for, use and exercise the gifts of God that are in us. We saw some of that this morning as the gift came out in music, as the gift came out in song. But the gift of God is no excuse and no substitute for your character. Not ever, period. Are you with me this morning? Can I get an amen? You see, the story of Jonah is all about his battle between his feelings and his faith. And that's why I love this book, because I don't think there's a person in this room, myself included, who doesn't struggle from time to time with our feelings and our faith. Sometimes we're so filled with faith and we believe that God can do great things, but other days we're consumed with our feelings and we just feel like giving up and dying. And that's exactly what we see taking place here in Jonah's life. Jonah's uh, story teaches us that if we don't manage our feelings, our feelings will manage us. I'm going to say that again. The story of Jonah is all about us learning that if we don't manage our feelings, our feelings will indeed manage us. The story goes, as we've learned over the last three weeks, that God has a heart for people And that heart has not changed. God is madly and passionately in love with you. If you are visiting this morning, you are new to church life. You are not here by accident. You are here by God's design. God is madly and passionately in love with you. And if you don't hear anything else, hear that this morning. God loves you. He's for you. Just like He was for the people of Nineveh all those years ago. And He sent a man. He raised up a man by the name of Jonah to go to that city. And Jonah was slow on the uptake. He didn't want to go. God said, go. He said, no. Eventually, in chapter 2, we see through a series of events, Jonah changes his heart, changes his mind, finds himself in the belly of a big fish and he's spewed up back on the shore and gets back on track. And he goes to Nineveh and a great revival breaks out. Now, if I was to ask you, who would love to see the city of Adelaide come to know Jesus? A revival break out, not half of Adelaide, but the whole of Adelaide. Would that not be a good thing? Would that not be an amazing thing? 
Well, that actually took place in Jonah's day and generation. Something he saw with his own eyes is something that we pray about that many people never get to see in their lifetime. And Jonah got to witness what we pray for, what we believe for before his very eyes. And you would think he would be happy. You would think he would be amazed. You think he'd be grateful. You think he would be joyful. You think he would find himself in the house of God, testifying to the goodness of God. That's what you think would happen, wouldn't you? I mean, if revival broke out in Adelaide, surely you'd come back to church on Sunday and, and just celebrate the fact that God had done something amazing, wouldn't you? And yet the Bible clearly states in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, that this seemed wrong to Jonah. Can you imagine revival breaking out? And I stand up here on a Sunday morning as revival's broken out in the city of Adelaide. I said, church, I've got a problem with this. I don't imagine this seems wrong to me. That God would graciously pour out His love and favour and forgiveness on the city of Adelaide. I don't imagine I've got issues with that. You would say that would never happen. It did happen in Jonah's day. This seemed wrong. It's not right. It's not fair. Who does God think He is? And, and it gets worse. Not only did it seem wrong, but He got angry. Jonah got angry. In actual fact, the Bible says he was so angry he said, I wish I was dead. I mean, this is extreme. What, what can we learn from this moment? Before we even move on, what can we learn from this moment? We can learn this, that when you are led by your feelings, you will say some extreme things. You'll say some exaggerated things. Maybe you can relate to this if you can't relate to Jonah. How many of you have been so hungry? You felt so hungry that you found yourself saying, I'm starving to death. That's not, that's not true, by the way. But you feel hungry. And when you're led by your feelings, you say some extreme things. You say some things that are exaggerating. And that's what we find Jonah saying here. He's saying, I'm so angry I wish I was dead. I would be better off being dead than alive. Can we relate to Jonah? Or we sit in the judgment of Jonah stage? I'm trying to help you come on the journey with me to see us in the story. This is not only history. This is our present reality. When we are led by our feelings, we say some extreme things. We tend to exaggerate our pain. And that's what Jonah is guilty of. It's what I've been guilty of. And no doubt it's what we have been guilty of. And so what do you do when your feelings are getting the better of your faith? Well, God sits him down and asks him a question. And, I, and this is where I feel a little bit sensitive. I feel like God is going to do business with us this morning as we are seated here before Him I'm just the vessel this morning. I, I believe God is wanting to ask us some questions this morning as He asked Jonah this morning. And the question that He asked Jonah is this, why are you angry? I mean, that's a fair question. 
This is how gracious and slow to anger our God is. God didn't just get angry. God would have every right to say, are you kidding me? I mean, if I was God in that moment, I mean, are you kidding me? But God, who is slow to anger, abounding in love, He says, Jonah, quick question. Why are you angry? You're so angry. Have you even stopped to think why you're angry? You're in such a tease right now. How many of you have ever been so angry you forgot what you're angry about? I have. You're just... And God's having a calm your farm moment with Jonah. So just calm your farm. And he provides a little plant to bring some relief for 24 hours and provides a worm and eats the plant up. He says, Jonah, do you even know why you're angry? Do you even know what you're upset about right now? Because if, if you think that anger is your only problem, you're fighting the wrong fight. If you think your only issue going on right now is your anger, oh my goodness me, you're going to miss the point. See, if we don't get to the root issue of our problem, we'll never deal with our problem. And most people never deal with the root issue of their problems because they never know what the real root issue is because they never stop and ask themselves this question, why am I angry? Why am I acting the way I am acting? The, the question that God is asking Jonah and I believe God is asking me and us is, do we know the real problem? Because if you don't know the real problem, you'll never be able to find a real solution. You see, God was very aware that Jonah was angry. How many of you know when someone's angry? Angry is obvious. Have you noticed that? When someone's angry, it's just obvious. In actual fact, it was so obvious that even Jonah knew he was angry. He said, I'm so angry, I could just die. So he knew he was angry. In other words, Jonah could see his anger. And when you're angry, anger is obvious. It's obvious to you and it's obvious to everyone around. And when you're angry, you don't want to be around an angry person. Have you noticed when someone's angry, you just stay away from them? Maybe you came angry today. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to say, welcome to church. Listen up. We're going to learn some things about ourselves this morning. Jonah was angry. His anger was so obvious. It blinded other things that were in his life. You see, our life is like a series of boxes within boxes. And if we just think our anger is our only problem, we're never going to get to the real problem. And the problem with Jonah is he had other things going on in his world that he couldn't see because he was blinded by his anger. His anger was all-consuming. 
And when your anger is all-consuming or the thing that you're feeling is all-consuming, you'll never get the help or solution that you need. And here's the good news. I'm here to offer help and solution. I'm not here to use Jonah to bring condemnation or judgment of him or anyone in this room. We are here to find solution. It's easy to highlight a problem, but in God we find solutions. Can I get an amen? But our lives, like Jonah's, is a series of boxes within boxes. You see, Jonah could uh, see his anger, but what he couldn't see was his arrogance. He said, well, what do you mean arrogance? Well, where do you think the notion that it seemed wrong to Jonah came from? When you assume that something God does is wrong, There's no greater form of arrogance than that. When you think you know, or when I think I know better than God, then that's arrogant. So he knew he was angry, but he didn't know he was arrogant. He didn't know that the source of his anger was coming from the source of his arrogance. It seemed wrong. Why should you save them? Why should you forgive them? Why should you do this? Why should you do that? How many of us have we ever questioned God about how He does things? And when someone dies, why could you let this happen? And in that moment, we're blinded to our arrogance. And again, I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm not here to to point a finger. We're here to find solutions. But the day we realise that we're being arrogant is the day we are closer to finding help and solution. So Jonah was very aware of his arrogance, uh, his anger, but he wasn't quite so familiar with his arrogance. Jonah was aware of his anger, but he wasn't aware of his arrogance, but he also wasn't aware of his entitlement. Where was Jonah being entitled in the story. Well, anytime you expect grace from God and forgiveness of God at the expense of someone else receiving the grace of God or the forgiveness of God, that's entitlement. When you think you're entitled to the forgiveness of God but others aren't, that's entitlement. You see, the trouble with Jonah is he'd forgotten Chapters 1 and 2. He'd forgotten the grace that he'd been extended. Jonah clearly said, I'm not going. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And God graciously gave Jonah a second chance as we learned just last week. And this second chance that Jonah had gave him the opportunity to go to Nineveh and see a whole city saved. Jonah could understand the forgiveness that he received. Jonah could understand the grace that he received. But he just couldn't understand the forgiveness or the grace that God was willing to give others. When you and I think like that, that's entitlement. Where's our anger coming from this morning? Maybe it's coming like Jonah from our arrogance that we couldn't see because of our anger. Or maybe we couldn't even see our arrogance because of our entitlement. Are you all still with me 
this morning. You still love me? Of course, that is to assume you love me in the first place. Entitlement comes when we remember chapter 3, God using you, but forget our chapters 1 and 2. That's why we've taken time over the last four weeks to break down the story of Jonah. Jonah was extending grace in chapters 1. He was extending grace in chapters 2. But by chapter 3, he'd forgotten that grace that was extended him. And that's where entitlement creeps in. We live in a blessed nation and we should never feel bad for the blessing that we receive. But when we forget that many, many others do not have and live in the blessing that we have, that's when we are one step closer towards entitlement. Jonah could see his anger, but he couldn't see his arrogance. Jonah could see his anger, but he couldn't see his entitlement. And Jonah could see his anger, but he couldn't see his hurt. Do you know most of our issues come from unresolved hurt? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria were the arch enemies of the Israelites of whom Jonah belonged and of whom Jonah was one. And it was the Assyrians that oppressed the Israelites. And the root cause of Jonah's anger was because he was smarting. He was hurting over the fact that God had asked him to help a group of people that had hurt his people. And Jonah couldn't see that. He just knew he was angry. And I wonder if through the life of Jonah, God's not speaking to some of us in this place today. See, what God reveals, He heals. God doesn't delve into our lives. And as a pastor, I'm not here to delve into your life just to bring up the pain of the past. We're here to reveal the pain of the past in order to bring healing to our future. Are you with me this morning? And the trouble is, when hurt is not dealt with, it manifests in bitterness. And when you are bitter, you forfeit the grace of God that's available to you. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, it says it this way, those that cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace of God that's available to you. In other words, the grace of God is available to everyone in this room today as it is to myself. But we'll never receive it while we cling on to things. The Bible calls them worthless idols. You might say, I don't have a golden calf at home. That's not the idols that I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about anything that stops us receiving the grace of God. For in order for us to receive the grace of God, our hands have to be open. And if our hands are closed because we're holding on to something else, we will forfeit the grace that could be ours. And what it is we're holding on to might be that hurt, might be that bitterness, might be that unforgiveness. Whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. It's just stopping us, holding on to or receiving, sorry, the grace of God that's available to us. See, God, I believe, wants to come and not only reveal this morning, but He wants to heal. He wants to take some of the wounds and bring healing to our wounds. See, there's a difference between a wound and a scar. A wound is an unhealed problem. A scar is a wound that has been healed. When I had open heart surgery back in 2016, upon release from hospital, the doctor said to me, I want to tell you three things. I said, okay, doc, I'm ready. He says, number one, don't touch your, uh, your wound. I said, okay, wrote it down. Don't touch wound. Tick. Got it. Okay, doc. Next one. He goes, okay, number two is don't touch your wound. I thought, did he forget he just said that? He said, no, that's, that's number two. He says, you want to know what number three is? I said, sure. He says, don't touch your wound. He says, because it needs to heal. I'm so glad for that doctor's advice. I was almost anal when it came to my wound that I just made sure that I did not touch it. And some three years later, I have a reminder, a small scar, of a life-giving surgery, of which I'm so grateful to God and the doctors for. But the reason it's a scar and not still an open wound is because I didn't pick at it. That I didn't touch it that I keep, didn't just keep going on and on and on about it. When we keep going on about what that person said, pick, pick. When we go on about what that person did, pick, pick. And the more we go on about the things that happened to us, and the more we pick at our past, the less chance we give of that wound ever getting healed. And God wants to bring healing. But in order for us to receive that healing, we've got to stop picking at the past. You say, oh, but the church has hurt me. Can I have a confession? This I have a confession this morning. I'm it really honest and open and vulnerable with you this morning. As, as leader of this church, the same church, over 25 years, I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by this church. And, and do you know why I've been hurt by this church? Because there are people in it. And where people are, pain is. When I was in South Africa, I had an opportunity to speak to many different groups of leaders. 
And I said to them, I said, this is the question I often get asked, particularly as we've hit the 25-year mark. I get asked this question a lot. What's the best thing about ministry? And I said, oh, that's a real easy one for me to answer. The best thing about ministry is people. When I see someone come to Jesus, when I see a changed life, oh my goodness me, seeing people baptised, seeing people go through the process of discipleship and, they, and seeing their marriages turned around and seeing people supernaturally healed, oh my goodness me, it's always people. People are the best thing in ministry. Love it. And I said, if you don't mind me asking, what's the worst thing about ministry? I said, oh, that's easy too. The worst thing about ministry is the same as the best thing about ministry. It's people. Because people hurt. People betray you. People bite you. People say nasty things. And, and, and they're things that, you know, they say when you're only trying to help them. I remember some time ago when we was in America and Kath went out to help a husky dog because he was all tied up. The poor little dog was all tied up. And I told her specifically, I said, look, the dog doesn't know us. Wait till the owners get home and they will sort the dog out. But please don't touch the dog. I was packing our bags. I put the bags in the back of the car to come back into the house. It was pandelirium. There were tears. There were screams. What on earth was going on? Kath had come in and, and she'd had a few, you know, bites from this dog. I said, well, what did you do? And she said, I, I went to help him and the very dog she went to help turned him bitter people are like that people you want to help and they bite you and if we don't deal with the root issue it will have an effect later on in life it was about a year later after that husky moment in actual fact I just come out of hospital with my heart surgery we were taking our little Maltese Shih Tzu for a walk which is not a very manly thing to do. Me walking a little white fluffy dog is not the most manly thing I've ever done, but we do it because we love him. Don't judge me. We love our dog. If you can call it a dog, but it is. It is a dog to us. And, and we're walking this dog, and out of nowhere, I mean, out of nowhere, like stealth, this husky comes out of nowhere and just picks up our dog in its mouth. It was like silent. It was, it was my, honestly, it was almost like a demonic attack. It was just the weirdest thing. This husky, of all dogs, a husky comes out of nowhere. And, and, I, and I find myself grabbing our little dog, Tobias. Yes, that's its name again. Don't judge me. <laughs> Tobias, the Maltese Shih Tzu. I, I grab the dog out, out of the husky's mouth. And, I'm, and, I'm, you know, and again, don't judge me. I was kicking the other dog. <laughs> A lot of confessing going on here this morning. And, and, and I didn't know what to do because I've never been in that situation before. And have you noticed when you don't, haven't been in a situation before, you don't know what to do? So I just found myself making loud noise. Of, <laughs> just... Just, and I remember running in front of a car, putting my foot out, trying to stop the car. And I said, open the door, open the door. I'm trying to throw our dog in the car to protect it from this big husky. I mean, I just had open heart surgery. And uh, eventually we kind of stopped this car. The car opens its door. I put the dog in the car and the husky, for whatever reason, just runs off. Thinking, what was all that about? Pick up our dog. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> We're good. Don't ring the crazy farm. I'm okay. It's all good. Blah, you know, just like. And I walk over to where Kath is and I realise something. From the moment that husky showed up on the scene, she never moved. She froze. 
She never moved. I was almost being eaten alive. She never moved. <laughs> I just had open heart surgery. She never moved. But I knew what that was about. Because a few years earlier, a dog just like that one, that she went to help, turned on her and bit her. And if we don't deal with our hurts, and if we don't deal with the pain of the past, it will affect the way we see people and dogs and anything else in our life. And in order for us to live healed as God would intended us, intend us to live healed, we've got to do some things. And it would be amiss of me not to highlight some things that we need to do. So I'm going to do that. Three things that we need to do. But I realise I don't have time to elaborate on any of these. But I want to just put them out there for you to do some homework with. And this is what I love about the local church as opposed to podcasts and conferences, although I'm not against podcasts and conferences. But you can't do life with a podcast and you can't do life with a conference. You can't work through your issues. You can't do the hard work that's going to be required for us to get the healing we need from the fears of the past with a podcast or a conference alone. God has placed the lonely in families. He places orphans in families because he knows that we need each other. We are indeed better together. And so when it comes to us finding healing from our hurt, because if we don't find healing from a hurt, we're going to walk around angry for the rest of our lives. Blaming this person and that person and this church and that church. And if you're looking for a perfect church, you'll never find one. Which brings me to my first point. You've got to have godly revelation. If we're going to find healing, you've got to have godly revelation. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the question of the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they were all silent except for one, Simon, who said, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He had a revelation of who Jesus is. Yeah is, was, and forever shall be. And we need ongoing, not just once off, but ongoing revelation of who He is. I thank God for the day I got saved, but that revelation I had on the day I got saved wasn't enough to carry me throughout the journey that I've been on for the last 35 years as a Christian. We need fresh, ongoing, godly revelation. And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one that was prophesied about. And then Jesus in turn says, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And while you've been known as Simon, I give you a new name. You shall be called Peter. And on you, I will build my church. You see, your, uh, this church and your life is built on a revelation of who Jesus is. And when you have a revelation of who Jesus is, He'll give you a revelation of who you are. And when you have a revelation of who you are, you'll have an understanding and a revelation of what it is that you've been called to do and what it is you've been placed on the planet to do. We need ongoing revelation. And so when God sits you down and says, do you know why you're angry? We need to listen. When we're reading the Word of God, it's not enough just to read the Word of God. We need to let the Word of God read us. And one way I let the Word of God read me is ask it questions. And so when I see God asking Jonah a question, 
I stop and have a sealer moment. I said, if God was asking me that question, what would my answer be? If God said to me, why are you so angry, Tony? That's letting the Bible read you. Let's not make the Bible just keep it in history. Let's make it a present day reality. We need fresh, daily, ongoing, godly revelation. Secondly, we need external examination. External examination. Why? Because we all have blind spots. It's impossible for me to see 360 degrees. I can't. I can only see what's in front of me. I can't see what's behind me. And I thank God that throughout my life, I've had godly men and godly women in my life to be able to help me navigate the blind spots of my life. People to come and say, Tony, why are you angry? See, we need people who will question why we're angry, not just entertain and placate our anger. So I know why you're angry. I can't believe you put up with that church for so long. I can't believe you put up with that leader for so long. I can't believe you put up with that person for so long. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who loves you enough to address you on issues that you can't see. That's exactly what we see God doing to Jonah. And I thank God that I've had men and women in my life that can actually point out the blind spots. See, I, I believe with all my heart, most people have the right conversation. It's just with the wrong people. You know, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the 12 disciples, he says, you guys stay here. I'm going over here. And it was over here before God. He says, God, if this cup can be removed, take it from me. Now, Jesus never sinned. So what he's saying is not sin. What he's saying is not wrong. What he's saying is not a whinge. What he's saying is what needed to be said. Most people have that conversation. The trouble is we have it with the wrong person. Can you imagine if Jesus, instead of going to God, said, hey, Peter, come here. Pete, leave the other guy. Pete, come here. Hey, Pete, I'm really struggling, man. I don't know if I can do this thing. It's just getting too much. Look, man, I'm sweating blood here. I don't know if I can do this. Same conversation that he was having with God. But if you had it with Peter, can you imagine Peter's response? Jesus, leave it with me. I know what to do. <laughs> Same conversation, just the wrong people. Here's my best definition of what gossip is. If you talk to someone about your problem and they can't help you, that's gossip. If you talk to someone and they hold you in your place, that's gossip. Because you're not going for help. You're just going to be entertained. You need to go someone who more than likely is going to tell you what you don't want to hear. Do you have those people in your life? We're talking about getting to this. Mates won't do that. We need spiritual mums. We need spiritual dads. We need people with, with spiritual backbone that can have the decent conversations because we love you. We're not just going to be placated by your gift. We're not going to say, oh man, if I, if I, if I say that, we're going to lose them. If we say that, we're going to, we're going to be down a musician. You know what? We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have some conversation. We're going to talk because we love you. And we realise that while you're on stage with this and while you're in a group with this and while you're in a marriage with this, it's not helpful. I'll be honest with you, when I had open heart surgery, that cut hurt. The healing process hurt. But I wear my scar as a badge of honour because it was a life-saving, life-altering, life-changing operation. And as a result, I'll be able to spend more time with my wife and my kids and this church, 
Thank God pride didn't get in the way. So I'm not going to let anyone cut me. I'm not going to let anyone speak into my life. Your loss. Your loss. You need some external evaluation. Someone says, oh, don't do that. That's control, manipulation. No, that, that's, that's your arrogance talking. That's you thinking you know it all. Humility says, I don't know it all. Humility says, I have blind spots. Humility says, you know what? You call it control, I call it help. That's humility. I'm not going to be controlled ever again. That's arrogance. I thought it might be this quiet. Because I'll be honest with you, when I was in surgery, I was pretty quiet too. When you're under the anaesthetic, it kind of knocks you out. And when you're under the presence of God, it has an effect. And the last one is just self-investigation. Self-investigation. See, it's not enough just for God to say it. It's not enough just for others. You've got to do the hard work. Having things pointed out to you, now the hard work begins. Is there truth to that? Wow, it is true. How am I going to respond? Am I going to spiral down and, and say, what was me? No one loves me. Everyone hates me. Or am I going to take a hold of what it is that I've been made aware of and put some healthy boundaries in place? See, maybe there are some here who, who are trying to lose some weight and, and someone's pointed that out to you and they've given you some advice of what you can do. You can use that advice to spiral. And say, oh, I'll never be fit. I'll never be healthy in spiral. You can use that advice to say, oh, you're just judging me. You think you're better than me. They're all just responses of, of this stuff. Or we can do the self-investigation. You know, they've got a point. I've got to do something about my life. I've got to change what's in my cupboards. I've got to change what's in my fridge. I've got to change the time I get up. I've got to start doing things differently. I love this church. And I love you too much not to share the whole counsel of God's Word. I love Jonah. We haven't talked about Jonah to judge Jonah. I'm going to see him in heaven. I want to be able to say thank you. I don't want to have any issues with the people I have to meet in heaven because I've spoke badly about them. No, their life is an opportunity for us to learn from. And it's my deepest desire that we would indeed learn from the lessons in the Bible and that we'd learn from this minor prophet. We're not exactly sure if we can get rid of this, that'd be fantastic, Nathaniel. We're not exactly sure who the author of Jonah was. But most historians and theologians would say it was Jonah himself. What guy would write that way about themselves? We have a lot to thank Jonah for, for being so open, so vulnerable. This is like him putting on Instagram his bad days. No one does that. This is the unfiltered Jonah. There's no filter. There's no highlight reel. It's a low light reel for the most part. And he's done it for all time and eternity for us, the church, to learn from. I'm grateful for God. And I'm grateful for men and women such as Jonah and others in the Word of God that have left a legacy for us to learn from. Can you stand with me? 
thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 